This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Doug Greenwald is our guest today here on Play by Playcast, our first time talking with a baseball commentator. Figured during baseball season, may as well get a baseball announcer on. A lot of people probably out there listening from baseball buses right now as they traverse across the country. So we'll dive into the realm of baseball today after uh, really good conversations. I'm biased, but uh, good conversations with Carter Blackburn and uh, Andy Demetra over the last couple of weeks. Doug Greenwald is the voice of the Fresno Grizzlies. They are the Houston Astros affiliate in the AAA Pacific Coast League. Before that, longtime affiliate of the San Francisco Giants. It just feels weird that they're an Astros affiliate now, but that they are. Uh, And Doug's kind of a cool story from Jump Street. Been in minor league baseball a very long time. Uh, He went to college at BU. He'll detail all of this here momentarily. Uh, But went to college at BU and then went out to Bend, Oregon for his first job in minor league baseball and has taken a lot of steps and a lot of different stops. Uh, You know, the mid-south, I guess you would call it. He's gone down to Louisiana, all over different parts of California for minor league baseball and uh, has made his way up to the major leagues as well in a couple of stints with the Giants and some spring training games with the San Francisco Giants as well. Doug certainly uh, has a pedigree for broadcasting in his family. His father, the legendary Hank Greenwald, longtime broadcaster for the Giants. If there was a guy that was born to be in broadcasting, Doug Greenwald would be that. So first off, Doug, uh, thanks for stopping by and and giving us time, especially in season, uh, being here on the podcast. That all being said, when did you figure out and decide that play-by-play announcing, that being a baseball announcer, is your calling? Probably high school. Uh, that's and my sights set on going to uh, wherever I was going to go to college uh, to major in, in sports broadcasting. But uh, no, I I certainly say you know when I was in high school that would have been around the time I would have uh, selected this path. What kind of appreciation did you have for? all the stuff you were exposed to, I guess, in, at that time as well. I mean, when you decide this is what I'm going to do, how much kind of brain picking did you get into? And when did you kind of turn your sights from, I get to go to work with my dad and see all these different things to kind of using that as an educational experience? Oh, uh, huge. Uh, because I wouldn't so much hang around with dad at the ballpark because I always had dad at the house. What I would do is I would go in and listen to the other broadcasters, and they were, I mean, obviously they knew who who my dad was, but uh, they would always, you know, allow me in. Uh, you know, this was certainly before the days of interleague play, uh, but I got to know all the guys in the National League, and they had no problem if I wanted to uh, sit in the booth or stand in the booth somewhere just to observe and hear their styles and pick their brains. So uh, that was really the education. Uh, that I had. I mean, I had the built-in education at home with Dad, but it was fun to listen to the different styles. And again, it was before a day, before the days where uh, you had, 
you know, XM radio or the iPhone where you could just listen to any broadcast. Uh, so you could, uh, I, 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 it was an advantage for me because I had access to those guys. Who's the coolest guy to sit in the booth with? Oh, there were a lot, but I mean, uh, the Brennemans certainly. I mean, Marty and Tom uh, were great. I mean, of course, different teams at that time. Tom was with the Cubs, obviously, Marty with the Reds, uh, Bob Murphy, and, uh, you know, with the Mets, uh, you know, Murphy and Cohen. I mean, those guys were great. I mean, so. Uh, you know, there'd be, there's lots of, you know, you could almost say anybody, but that, I would say I have to know the Brennemans the best uh, of the National League guys, but, uh, you know, just to name a few, those are the first guys that really, you know, tip of my tongue. What's it like being in the booth with Scully? You know, again, that's that's probably one where I might not have literally been in, in the booth, but you got to know him um, a little bit. And, I mean, just, you know, shaking his hand, it was almost as if, you know, you had a list of, or a, a group of $1 bills, he was the silver dollar. Uh, it was it was like Ben Scully's coming to town. But the, everybody got pumped because the Dodgers were coming to town. You know, when you have the Dodger-Giant rivalry. And regardless of how good or bad the Giants or Dodgers were, whatever team was good or bad, or if they were both bad or both great, uh, it was always, hey, the Dodgers are coming to town. And you get to the ballpark and thinking, well, Ben Scully's in town. And you don't think that with other teams and their broadcasters. It's the Dodgers and Vince Scully. So that's sort of what it was like to meet him or be around him. Why'd you go cross-country for college? I wanted to go to school at the University of Washington. Uh, I didn't get in. Um, my mom went to school there. Uh, I've got tons of family there. And, uh, I mean, all on my mom's side. And Seattle, I mean, you can almost look at Seattle and Boston as being equal cities in terms of sports. Uh, I mean, I know Boston's got the more historic side and probably more fashion fans. I'm not talking about that, but in terms of, of opportunity. Sure. Um, you know, it's equally as beautiful a city. Uh, I think people think as highly of it if you're a tourist somewhere and someone said, hey, bring a little Boston and Seattle. Hey, but, you know, knee-jerk reaction generally is both great cities. Uh, but I didn't get in, and I got into BU. That's uh, essentially what happened. Uh, so, you know, I've always said for what we do, and obviously where you went and millions of others, uh, Syracuse is the top dog. I don't think that's, there's any debate about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I often look at it like what we do also, though, is we go for um, the education in the city. Uh, Boston, no doubt about that, provides that with so many sports teams. Uh, but anyway, that's how I ended up there. What was it like being in that city, though? Because, I mean, my my top two choices were it was down to Syracuse and, and it was down to BU. And one of the big things about BU was that you were that you were in it, that you were exposed to all of it. Uh, what's it like kind of having that at your fingertips as a college kid and delving in? And I, I know you were around the Red Sox a lot when you were in college. Uh, being able to take advantage of those opportunities, and, and how did that help shape you? Well, I think a ton, I mean, because, you know, it was sort of like, okay, What's there to do tonight? Hey, the Bruins are playing. Let's go get on the team and, and go down to the Garden. Uh, my senior year was the last year of the Boston Garden. Um, so, uh, no, you know, I think, I, think it was my, I think it was my junior year was the last year of the Garden. So, I think the, my senior year was the first year of the new arena because I remember going to the new arena my senior year. That was it. Uh, but I was certainly there enough years with the Boston Garden. So, things like that. Um, but I think the, the pinpoint, the best example of how it helped was getting to know Joe Castiglione with the Red Sox. You know, you're walking down Commonwealth Avenue in September or then April or early May, and you see the lights in the ballpark on. That was your magnet to get over there. 
so no, it, it helped a lot. It's not just that, but I mean, there's a lot of people that help, you know, with those sports opportunities. Um, a man named Ed Carpenter was the forever SID at BU. I mean, Ed was there probably 30 years. Uh, I can't thank Ed enough for the opportunities he allowed for me to, to work in the, you know, to work game days, work in the SID office, things like that. To what it was like to go to school in that city. I mean, yeah, you, you felt like you didn't feel like you were on a college campus. You felt like the campus was what's going on with the Red Sox and what's going on with, uh, you know, Capitol Hill in, in Massachusetts. If, you know, one chose not to, to do sports, you had all the politics right there in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, it's, it, it was just like going to school in a major city. Um, but yeah, I mean, to have all these things around it and, uh, you know, it was, it was like you were part of that environment. The sports environment. I mean, so many. I feel like I've bounced around quite a bit at this point in my career too, and you know, I, I, I even it, it gets dramatic when you talk to I guess what you would call normal people who who don't move around as much as as broadcasters do. And then I look at your your path to get where you are, and uh, you've covered some ground. <laughs> um, walk me through where I mean, give me the kind of Reader's Digest version of of where you've been and and how this career has taken you. Well, as I say, you got to be willing to move. Yeah. And, it, I mean, even when I was at BU, I'm, I'm sending tapes to places like, you know, rural Mississippi and, you know, Canada. And, I mean, as we know, it's such a competitive job. But, uh, no, I was fortunate. I mean, it's kind of a funny small world story uh, how I started. Uh, my uh, my first job out of college was in Bend, Oregon. And that's a, a resort town up in central Oregon with an independent league team. Uh, a very good the, the guy that's been the voice of the Tacoma Rainiers since beginning in '99, uh, Mike Curdo. Mike and I worked together in the Giants front office as interns a few years prior, early '90s. And I'm in the, uh, uh, I guess, computer lab one day at BU, and I'm on the, uh, I guess, what was at the time called some, uh, something new called the internet. <laughs> and, and I'm reading the AP wire. Rancho Cucamonga Quakes hire Mike Curdo as broadcaster. You know? interesting. I know Mike had been in Bend. I'm wondering if this is an opening in Bend. Um, I knew Mike was still working for the Giants, I think, in the wintertime. So I called Mike immediately. I mean, I'm like, let me call Mike. And I said, hey, Mike, you know, I just read something. Is this true? And he said to me, I just accepted that job 20 minutes ago and it's already out. (laughs) You know, he gave me the owner's name to call. And uh, I called the owner and uh, said, hi, you know, Mike Curto gave me your name and just wanted from the shop over, and he said, yeah, absolutely. And it went, it went from there. Uh, and I didn't quite get the job over the phone, but uh, obviously I had to send a tape. Uh, I, uh, back in those days, a cassette tape. And, well, uh, and you actually had to go to a phone to make these calls, too, I imagine, right? I think I had my, like, a Sprint calling card. <laughs> I remember those, so, actually. Like, yeah, yeah, and I think it was, a, like, a phone right in the computer lab or something, so I had to, you know, you dial the 800 number and you enter your code or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like the, yeah I used those at summer girl. camp. Yeah. Any, Anyway, so yeah, that's that's what happened. And uh, a month later, I can't remember the exact timetable, but I was out at spring training with my family. This is 1996. Called my dorm room to the answering machine to get uh, you know get into my voicemail. Guy from the team wasn't the owner, but it was somebody else who worked there. One of the other higher ups called me and uh, was the word on the machine offers me the job um, <laughs> over the voicemail. So uh, I called back there and uh, just to confirm it, and that was that. So. It's just kind of weird how how that whole thing started, but anyway, you know, you get that was a a short season job. Uh, that job included 
it was a 90-game season. I did about 60 games, but there was also 15 TV games uh, at home, like a local cable access channel back then. And I could do those games if they were on TV, so it was about 15 of those. So it came out to about maybe 60 of the 90 I got to do. Obviously, from there, I was you know, you're looking to do a lot more than that. But that gave me a start. Following season, I ended up in Burlington, Iowa, in the Midwest League. And one thing I want to emphasize here is that uh, to people just starting out, and I made this mistake, um, and I, I 100% admitted it then, and 20 years later, just about, I, I say the same thing. Don't always jump at a job you think is going to be great. You know, I'm not talking, you know, major market job, but I mean a, a minor league job here. Um, I made a mistake accepting a, a job like this, uh, even though it was a full season job, and you know I got to do 144 games. Um, it just was not a very good, you know. But there's a lot more to broadcast in some places in minor league broadcasting or minor league baseball. There is the you know the broadcasting, and this is a a small market team where you know they they judged you more on your ability to do ground screw and pull tarp and clean toilets than it was being able to set up a three run triple. There were two jobs I had, or one job I had for a couple of winners, uh, seasonal jobs, 1996 after I left Oregon and before I came to Iowa and then after I left Iowa and, and uh, it was the Hawaii Winter League. Yeah, that's a terrible spot. Yeah, it, it was uh, It was just one of those where I ended up uh, fortunate to broadcast for a team out. It wasn't literally in Honolulu. It was about maybe 20 minutes west, um, but they were called the West Oahu Cane Fires. Ichiro was in that league, not when I was there, but just giving an example of, of guys that had come through there. Now, do you remember Terrence Long, who played with the oh, yeah. Mets and A's? Yeah, Terrence Long was in that league. Russell Ortiz, who had pitched with the Giants, so he was out there. So they had a, uh, a lot of guys that, that would go on and play in the major leagues. And you're probably loving uh, life, was, too. I mean, you're spending the winter yeah. in Hawaii. No, I mean, there's a lot of talent out there, and, and how that league worked is and it was explained to me clearly that you only do home games there, that each site has a broadcaster, and you would just pick up the feed. So if we're playing Maui, Maui would pick up my feed. And if the West Lago team played at Maui, then I had those days off. Um, but there was a winter league I did. It's maybe 20 students. I think the league was 54 games. I did half of them um, because it was just the home games. But I did that for a couple of winter times. Lafayette, Louisiana, I worked in independent league ball there. And then... Then throughout the Central Valley of California, and the California League stock in Modesto, and then um, you know Shreveport for two years. And Shreveport turned out to be a really good stop, not so much baseball wise as the team was in transition of being sold and moving to become the team in Frisco, Texas. But uh, it allowed me uh, basketball time in, at Centenary uh, for about ten seasons. And I don't know if you, I'm sure you know now, is now a Division three school, but mm-hmm. at the time was. Division one, and, and I did about ten seasons of D one hoops. And, and when Kevin Durant was at Texas, we played them. Um, you know, you got to play at LSU, Missouri, Arkansas. We made two trips to Alaska for the tournament in Fairbanks. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely a, a lot of fun to do to do that. So yeah, you, you move around a lot. And then um, I've been in Fresno fourteen years. My first year with the Grizzlies was '03. Single best thing, or maybe not one best thing, but a couple best things throughout all of that journey that you did to position yourself, maybe logistically, or I mean, if we're talking broadcast-wise, legitimately to get better on the air. Are there a couple things that come to mind that say these were the cornerstones of of kind of what built me along that trip? Well, access to being able to do spring training games for the Giants. You know, and I've done a handful of, of major league regular season games on the radio for the Giants as well. Uh, I think being in 
uh, you know, obviously being, you know, having access to, to, and if, you know, we're not the Giants anymore, we're now an Astro affiliate, but I mean, at the time, obviously, and I'm still doing work for the Giants in spring. Uh, I mean, that part hasn't changed. Uh, I think just to, I think with Fresno, um, specifically the, the management here, they give me the freedom to concentrate on the broadcast, and that helps. I'm not being bombarded with, you know, hey, Doug, at, at 5.30, we need you down to the barbecue deck to go and talk to this group. And that's important, don't get me wrong, and it's a way to thank the fans, because without the fans, we don't have baseball, we don't have broadcasting. I never lose sight of that. Uh, and I love the fan feedback. Um, even if it's good or bad, you know, it's, it's important that we hear. But in other words, it's at 5.30, I can get interviews, I can be in the manager's office talking to him about situations, getting good notes for the broadcast, uh, going in, saying hello to the umpires, saying hello to uh, the media that comes out to cover our games. Uh, I, there's not really one turning point. It's just been the overall experience in Fresno. You, know, you're, you can concentrate on, on what you're there to do. When did you feel like you got to the point that you kind of felt that you were that you were good, that you felt like when you flipped that switch on – I'm confident that I can go out there every single night and and I've gotten myself to the point where I feel like I can put forth a product that, that people are going to want to listen to. Where did, where did you kind of have the confidence and, and what was that turning point for you where you decided, uh, you know, this this isn't something that I'm I'm trying and I'm, I'm working at, but something I, I can really do? I think it just comes with being out doing it every night, repetition. I think it's just every single night being out there, being able to do it. I mean, you go back to when I started, I mean, sure, if I were to compare myself now to 20 years ago, it'd be no comparison. But I think just gradually as years go on, um, you know, and I need to be trite, but it's like riding a bike. Mm. You know, you're going to struggle at first, and eventually the wheels are going to smooth. And next thing you know, you don't need dad to, you know, certainly in my case, uh, dad to push you anymore. You take the training wheels off. So I think just as, as time went on, but I think I've matured here as a broadcaster, you know, specifically in Fresno. Um, I think it also helps because I have been here for such a long time, and I realize that's not the goal to be such somewhere for such a long time in a minor league environment. But it has, as I said, it goes back to I'm provided the opportunity where I can uh, concentrate on the broadcast, and I'm not always having to say, okay, well, what's the next opening? What's the next opening? And things like I mean, your next opening hopefully is somewhere in the major leagues, but uh, you know, I'm not having to worry about the next. You know, minor league opening, so to speak. What's a Doug Greenwald broadcast sound like? What they're getting is, aside from painting a picture, we all paint the picture. We all talk about you know where the outfield's lined up, and you know the pitcher working on you know, the third base side of the rubber. A Doug Greenwald broadcast is, hey, I like to get fans to know this player, aside from what you can read about in a media guide. Um, is it the player's first trip ever to Fresno? You know, if if if, if Joel Godet, who's from New Jersey, and he's an East Coast kid, and he went to school at Syracuse, and he's playing now for Oklahoma City. I I might not know Joel at all, but I see him. He's from New Jersey. He's played all his minor league stops have been, obviously, elsewhere. I want to go down and meet him. I might just pick a random player. and say, Joel, nice to meet you. I do the radio here. First trip ever to Fresno. Oh, yeah, yeah, first trip ever here. Yeah, nice ballpark. To, you know, it's kind of neat to come here. You know, little things like that. You don't find that in the media guy. It doesn't say in the media guy, Joel has never been to Fresno before. <laughs> but that's where your job is to say, okay, now, Odette comes up, he's batting 282 with 12 homers and 29 RBIs. 
talked to Joel before the game, and he's excited. First time he's ever been to Fresno. I mentioned that he's, you know, he's heard of Fresno State. He's seen the Bulldogs play football on TV, but he's excited to actually be here and, and add Fresno and told me that he's excited to go to Sacramento after this series because he's never been there as well. Little things like that that might put a fan saying, oh, that's interesting. No, you know, he's never been to our city before. Um, he likes the big video board out in left center field. Um, he got out and he's going to go to Yosemite tomorrow. I try to relate the player to a fan because fans love going to the ballparks. Fans like seeing different stadiums for the first time. Um, I might ask about a family member. He says, hey, Joel, I see that uh, um, you got to, you know, meet uh, or, you know, your cousin is so-and-so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when we got to go to games together as a kid uh, in Yankee Stadium, got to play catch with Derek Jeter before a game back in 1998. Stuff like that that's not in the media guy. That's what people can expect out of me. I try to draw life experiences out of players. And nothing, you know, not controversial stuff, obviously. I don't sure. do that, but... But just little stuff like, hey, first time ever to such and such. How open or, do you feel like guys are to that sometimes? I mean, or, uh, kind of walk me through the, the way you get guys to open up in those conversations. I think it's simple. I don't, I mean, they know it's not, I mean, there, there's nothing controversial about a guy that's telling me he's been to a stadium for the first time. Um, I mean, I tried to ask one time, um, and I'll tell you who it was, Jock Peterson, a few years ago. Now, Peterson's from Palo Alto, you know, right by San, you know, it's where Stanford is, and right by San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, he's, he's a prospect in the Dodgers chain. And I went up to him one day, and he, now, granted, he doesn't know who I am. But, I mean, I introduced myself, and I said, just curious. I said, were you a Giant fan growing up? And he looked at me and said, no comment. <laughs> now, I've talked to enough people who know him who told me he was. I don't think he wanted to relay that if he's playing to the Dodgers. My take is, you know what, what, what are the Dodgers going to do, release him? But if he says, yeah, I grew up going to Giant <laughs> games. I mean, you know, I, I don't really think that was that bad of a question. I mean, I'm not asking him to get, uh, you know, personal about, you know, other things. I mean, it's, and that's a common question. That's the other thing, though. I will ask guys questions like that, but he's not the only one. I might go up to a player if I might, you know, okay, I see her from New Jersey. And, okay, and, and again, I always introduce myself, tell them what I do, you know, so I'm not just totally random. I might say, Joel, I see her from New Jersey. You're more Mets or Yankees. Or I might say, or are you maybe more a Philly guy. And that's stuff that I can use on the broadcast. And the guys like that, oh, yeah, you know, I grew up a big Mets fan or I grew up a big Yankee fan. Or, or I might say, you know, hey, I went to both. Or a guy might say, you know, my mom's a Mets fan, my dad's a Yankee fan, so I'm both. You know, stuff like that that I use on the broadcast. So what can they expect out of me? I like to dive into things that aren't in the media guide or aren't on the statute. It's easy to read a statute. It's really easy to read a media guide. Obviously, I reference it, sure, of course. But the other thing is in when we're in a when I do a road game, I like to put that fan with me on that trip. I might tell the fan that, uh, yeah, I had to, you know, hey, I got an early start and went up to see uh, so and so's gravesite, you know, or or I went to go and take a tour of this museum, or when, you know, we go to Oklahoma City, and obviously it's an extremely sad moment, but I always go to see the uh, bombing memorial uh, because it's a few blocks from our hotel, it's easy walk. I go uh, every. You know, every time we go to Oklahoma City, we we go every other year, but I always go to see it. And, and I tell fans about that because it's we're more we're kind of an outlet. We're not just at the ballpark. Part of the experience isn't just being at the ballpark. It's being able to, to share other experiences of where we are. Um, so I like to paint the picture, not just at the ballpark, but outside the ballpark. Um, talk about a player's hometown, um, you know, things like that. So they're going to hear more than just baseball. 
the expression is, you know, let's say you have a two-hour and 50-minute game, the ball's in play 10 minutes. you got to talk about other things, too. It's, it's funny because I was doing a lot of listening back last couple of days, actually, to, to Ball State's baseball season um, just from this past year. And I, I clip innings along the way, and then I just kind of went back through and flipped through ones and listened back to things I liked and didn't like and found innings where I did more of that kind of stuff and more storytelling and stuff like that and found innings where it was pretty much strictly baseball. Um, where's the line? And I don't know if there is a right answer to this, but kind of where's your line as far as the blend of those two together? Because I, I, I found some where I would do a whole inning and talk a lot about a guy's background or something he had said um, at batting practice or something of that nature. And then I'd find myself after seven minutes going, gosh, you know, I never said where anybody was standing or what anything looked like. And I kind of feel like I lost the picture in that story. Can that happen from time to time? Or do you have to find that middle ground? No, it, it happens. Um, I mean, the other thing you can lose concentration of is the score. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> true. I think the most important thing, yeah. you, know, you turn on the radio, you want to know what the score is. Um, and I try to give it as much as possible, maybe too much, but yeah, that's, um, you know, it happens because I'll look up and I'll be in the middle of the store and think, Oh my God, there's three infielders that are now on you know, <laughs> the Grizzlies. We, we shift all the time. Yep. We do that extreme shift. Uh, that's one thing the Astros do. So obviously they have to do it in the minor leagues. Um, and I look up and I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot to describe, you know, uh, we've got three infielders to the left side now. I've had the exact the same the problem. It's you, you know, you you're swimming and you go down to the bottom of the pool, and all of a sudden you got to go up for air again. <laughs> Better, you know, it's, it's like you wake up like, okay, and no one was last time to get the score. So it can happen. Um, you know, the other thing I do is just go back to your other question. I go home every night. Um, I mean, I have it in my house in Fresno. Um, you can't really do it on the road as much, uh, but I watch MLB Network, and after every game. I'll go home and I have a notepad and when I watch quick pitch, I, all the little tidbits they give, uh, I define all, I mean, not literally all, but most of my, my notepad, I write, I write them down in my preparation begins the next day. So I, I use a lot of stuff that might be applicable to the broadcast. Um, now that doesn't mean, so what, what can fans expect out of me? We had yesterday in, a, in this week, we were playing El Paso and they had a, a pitcher come up from single A ball than just to fill a roster spot for a couple of days. And he was making his AAA debut, and he happened to go to school at the University of Rhode Island. Well, I happened to have a note, um, and this wasn't on quick pitch, but it was just, I think, on a tweet. Yeah, I, the next thing I do is I'll, I'll go to, yeah, and I happened to just write this down off a tweet from the day before. Rhode Island won its first ever, I mean, I know they've since been eliminated, but won its first ever NCAA tournament game. I just happened to jot that down randomly and think, okay, I don't know. I'm going to work that in, but it's there. Well, lo and behold, there's a guy that comes in who happened to go to school at the University of Rhode Island. And I said, boom, I got this note right there ready to go. And it's just one of those where people can expect out of me that I'm going to be prepared with all sorts of news and notes from around the world of baseball, not just pro baseball, not just Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, but especially this time of year when you have the NCAA tournament going, because that's, you know, much like March Madness, a lot of people follow the baseball. And a lot of the players on that field have played in these regionals, and they're interested in it. So I, that's what people can expect out of me. They're going to hear more than just what goes on between the lines. What do you listen back for most when you? I guess, how how much do you listen back, and and what do you listen back for most? When I listen back to it, it's okay. Let me make sure that 
I mentioned who the base, the little things. I mean, anybody can listen back to that three-run triple or game-winning home run. But it's when I listen to a regular inning, and I might say to myself when I listen to my tape, Doug, give the score. <laughs> Doug, you know, I hit the double. That's fine. You described the double well. You totally forgot. I mean, I forgot. I got to tell everybody there's a runner at second base. How big's his lead? Is he being held on? Uh, is the pitcher looking back at him? It's all the little things that I'm trying to encounter. Where's the outfield lined up? Oh, man, I forgot to give that for two batters in a row. You think you do everything when you're on the air, and then you go back and listen. And God, did I go whole inning and not even explain where the outfield was standing? So that's what I'm listening I'm, I'm trying to listen to what I didn't do uh, more so than what I did. Or you get halfway through it, and you, you, you do half of that, and you forget the back end of it. So, like, you half pat yourself on the back and then are kicking yourself because you didn't finish or, or didn't follow through. Ground yeah. ball left field base hit. Um, you know, Godet now has his third hit of the day. And I'll bring up Smith. And I listen to okay, ground ball left field base hit. That's fine. All right, maybe there's no other runners on. The left fielder had to pick up the ball. The left fielder has a name. Where did he throw the ball back into? Yeah. The play's not over. The left fielder didn't just hold on to the ball the entire time. And that's where I go back and listen to him. Well, there's there's still some other stuff to describe. I mean, yeah, it's kind of routine. You know, the runner didn't try to go second on it. Um, how big a turn did the runner take at first? And he'll stop at first, just not really much of a turn, but he'll stay there. And so there's so much to just, you know, you try, you think you got it all during the game, and you go back, and then I really didn't describe that with enough emphasis. You try to remember so much, and... Um, I mean, there's a, I always said about baseball, which sets it apart from different sports. Uh, baseball, in a game where there's such little action to describe, it requires so much description. And essentially, you're describing things that really aren't moving. You're, you're describing the outfield. Well, the outfield, the, the right fielder isn't running around when you're describing him. You're describing him as he's playing near the line, as he's playing toward right center, as he's playing all the way back on the warning track. I mean, you're, you're describing things that are just standing around. And that's what makes baseball different. I want to, if I can, go back uh, one of the earlier stops in your career um, and I, I guess kind of bring it a little bit full circle, but you had talked about going to Shreveport for a couple of years in Double A, um, and I had actually seen the quote from your dad um, when you had to go, when you, when you went back to Modesto, going from like Double A to High A the, the next year, and he had said that it was, he was really proud of how you had kind of handled that, being able to take that quote-unquote step backward as far as level is concerned. What was that moment like for you? And I guess kind of on the more macro level, have there ever been times in your career where you've said, I'm struggling with this or I'm fighting with this or kind of had that self-doubt? And how do you push through those moments and and keep pushing and and get to the levels that you want to be at? Well, I think it helps because all us radio guys are a lot alike. We all kind of use each other as a support system, so we're not alone. Um, So I've never quite had that moment of saying, man, am I ever going to get there? I mean, I've, I have had a chance to do major league games, and I know I already mentioned this, but, you know, for the Giants um, on the radio. And a lot of people haven't had that opportunity. And I think a lot of people are like, wow, Doug, that's great. And, you know, you, um, and it is. Um, so I'm, I'm beyond fortunate um, and so appreciative of what the Giants have, have uh, allowed me to do. I mean, I, there's not enough thank yous for that. Um, so I think that has helped, knowing that you, I've been able to get up to that perch, you know, that, um, the part about Modesto, I think at the time, 
and I was about 26 at the time, 27. I might have looked at it as you're going backward, but in a way, you're still calling 140 games every night. I mean, they, they play the same amount of games. So it wasn't like I was having my games cut in half. Um, I was going back to an area of the country that obviously I'm from, I mean, I'm not from a desktop person, but I'm from Northern California. Um, so, and, and honestly, the geography didn't really matter a whole lot. I mean, I was looking at jobs anywhere and everywhere. It just so happened to be Modesto. Um, so I think at the time, a lot of us were, or that I might've been thinking, well, you know, it's, it's a step back. But then when I got out there and the season started, I'm still broadcasting every single night. So that part didn't matter as much, but now, you know, now obviously it's a little different. I've been here 14 years. The cities are bigger. You're around guys at this level, AAA, where um, who many of the players have been in the major leagues. Um, maybe a few more major league evaluators have come here because this is the next step for them. Um, but uh, anyway, no, I, you know, the overall scheme uh, when when that happened, um, I, I I think I think I handled it fine. It wasn't as I said. You're still broadcasting the same amount of games. You can give people an, an idea of where to find you. Um... I imagine is it FresnoGrizzlies.com? Is that where you can find games and I guess you, find you on yep, Twitter too? Yep, I'm on Twitter. My dugout, my uh, Twitter handle is dugout. It really says dugout zero four, but they can find me at d o u t o u t. They'll see my picture with the San Diego chicken. That's not a bad picture. It's uh, no, the chicken looks great. I got to tell you, chicken really looked good in that picture. It's one of my. It's by the way, side note, one of my favorite interviews of all time. By the way, oh, uh, with uh, Ted. With Ted, fantastic. Ted, yeah, no, he's. He's great. I haven't seen him in a few years. I don't think we've been anywhere where the chicken's been. I know mean, he's hung him up. I don't. <laughs> I know no, it breaks mascot that. code, but I, you know, it's kind of cool that he he does it. Um, he is a great interviewer. I know I've I've interviewed him before, and uh, I mean, I think he, you know, the fanatic, pretty much broke in around the same time. But uh, but no, that's that's where I can find my Twitter handle is is d o u g o u t, and uh, now feel free to. Send me the tweets, and as I said, the, the fan interaction I absolutely love. I mean, they take the time to listen. And, if it wasn't for the fans, we wouldn't be having these jobs. And I've always welcomed fan feedback, uh, good or bad. And I'm the kind of guy, if, if you have something that fan disagrees with, uh, I've been known to even, you know, give them my number or if they're local and come up to the booth, and that's fine. So anyway, no, definitely. That's, uh, I appreciate that. That is Doug Greenwald, our guest here on Play by Play Cast. If you've got a chance to catch uh, the Fresno Grizzlies broadcast this weekend, go ahead and do that. Uh, they play tonight. 535, I believe Pacific in Salt Lake City. Could be Mountain. I think it's Pacific. Uh, 535 Pacific in Salt Lake City against the Bees next couple of days. And then Sunday they've got a 12.05 start. Uh, FresnoGrizzlies.com. And you heard Doug uh, give out his Twitter handle there. Always good to get Ted Giannoulis, the famous chicken, (laughs) in your Twitter picture. Uh, And I'm not lying. Legit one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. Uh, Doug's cool as well. And, you know, maybe if we ever get Doug back on the podcast, uh, we didn't get into it, but we, we can get into it uh, at, at a later date. Doug mentioned exploring different places when you go to different cities on the road. Doug is a post office aficionado. Travels all over the country finding different post offices. So if you're looking for ways, quite legitimately, I mean this seriously, to pass time in minor league baseball or in broadcasting travels, uh, there are always different things that you can find uh, and different ways that you can kind of make your mark crisscrossing the country uh, to see different things, to experience different cultures. Uh, Doug found post offices, and it's kind of cool to see him, uh, at least on Facebook, 
post all the different places, some of them fairly big, some of them fairly podunk, but that's what's neat about it, uh, and see uh, kind of that slice of Americana. They are playing the go-home music, though, so that is our cue to head on out of here. Thanks, as always, for clicking subscribe and download. If you liked the product, uh, head on over to iTunes, give us five stars, four stars, three stars, whatever it is. Rate us. It helps people find the podcast, all that good stuff on down the road. Appreciate it. As always, we will talk to you next Friday morning back here on Play by Play Cast. Until then, see ya. Happy 4th of July. Come back with all your fingers. We'll see you next week. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.